We come to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. So let me read this for you. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to worship, as we come to this time where we get to go deep into your word, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would, again, wash over us because it's your word, and so he's the one who drives us to the truth and applies it to our lives. And Lord, we do pray for little fern. Lord, we know that the earthly doctors have given us 25%, but we know that you're the great physician. And so, Father, we ask that you would do the miracle that you would heal her of COVID and pneumonia, even in these moments, Lord. Lord, that you would allow her to grow strong in the faith. And Lord, that she would be a mighty warrior. And this would just be the first story of your story. And Lord, we do pray for Sally and the extended family. Lord, we know that uh, we prayed for her, her mother to pass in peace. And Lord, you answer that prayer. And so, Father, we now ask that you bring comfort and peace that only you can bring but Lord, that you allow your church to be the loving family that she needs now and in the coming weeks. So Father, we know you hear our prayers. And as Neil has already prayed, you intercede for us and your prayers are perfect. So Father, teach us this morning. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. As we come to this passage, I'm gonna read it again, but this time I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. So this is a paraphrase. It's not um, authoritative as the word of God, but it does bring about maybe hearing it in a little different way. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that comes that makes them godly. So stay away from people like that. For they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. So these teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. For they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long, for someday everyone will recognize what fools they are 
just as with Janice and Jambres. See, as we come to this passage, I want you to begin to grasp and understand there's two choices. We either love God or we love ourselves. And love is a choice. And so I ask the question, who do you love? And we could have the option to love God. And it tells us very clearly that love is a choice every day. And we should fight for that love. And it tells us that we should have a heart, a mind and soul and strength given to God. That we should love him in such a way that he is the center of everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we desire. And we should fight for that, just as as if we were to fight for that in our marriages. And so we have this, and he says, so love the God that way and begin to love your neighbor as yourself. See, God never tells us in the scripture to love ourselves. We get that. We understand how we love ourselves. We don't have to be taught that. Remember, Vodi Bachman reminds us all the time that even those little babies that we think are so sweet, especially during this time, they're vipers and diapers. We don't have to tell them. We don't have to teach them to say, mine, mine, mine. It's ingrained within us to care about ourselves, to think of ourselves first. And so we have to fight to fight to love others the way that we love ourselves. But he also gives us a warning in this passage, and the warning is that there are going to be difficult days. There's going to be difficult days, so we need to understand that we're going to be ministering to one another in hard times. We need to know what kind of fight we are in. And so Paul warns us, he says, hey, there are going to be difficult times as well as difficult people. Now, when we look at this uh, list, a lot of us can go, well, of course, that's what the way the world is. But the application here is these difficult people are the ones that are found in the church. People who begin to give away uh, their relationship and love of God and begin to focus on themselves and begin to affect other people in the church. And we can see this happening because there's an abandonment of, our, of their core beliefs. So we have many churches that claim to be Christian out there today that don't believe that the Scripture is true. Or they believe only a portion of the Scripture is true. Others who take away the virgin birth. People who take away, in essence, the gospel message that we are sinners in need of a Savior who is perfect and offered a sacrifice for us. Raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and lives and intercedes for us even now. They're content with becoming simply religious. Now, this, is, this isn't the only list, and it's not an exhaustive list. There's a list in Romans chapter 1, in Galatians chapter 6. But it's, he's trying to warn us, hey, don't be a lover of self. But he does begin to bring about some major categories in here. And the first one is, again, obviously, don't be a lover of self. Now, think of this. This is a great illustration. Think of an orchestra that had no conductor. And everyone was playing their own tune, their own way, in their own time. And if you don't believe me how screeching and unpleasant it is, go to an orchestra when they're warming up. And you hear everybody trying to get into the same tune. And you hear the, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill myself. But when the conductor comes and everyone's in tune, and we know this from the Brevard Youth Symphony, good job, Evangie, and the conductor comes out, 
then it becomes beautiful music. If we're only doing our own thing, that becomes, in essence, rebellion against God, and we only care about what we want. And so we need to make sure that we're not lovers of self. We also shouldn't be lovers of money. And I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. If we begin to put things or objects or we simply seek after money, then we understand that it becomes about us. This doesn't mean that you can't have money. The question is, is what do you do with it? Who gets glorified by your use of money? You or God? He also says that there's an issue of authority. He says people become disobedient to their parents. And it's not just disobedient to their parents. It's all authority. We all deal with that. Some of the examples that were used of people who said, well, I have to work for myself. And the people said, well, why do you have to work for yourself? Because I don't want to be submissive to someone else. We don't want to be submissive to the government. We want to be submissive to one another. We don't want to be submissive to those in leadership. And that begins to define itself being found out in disobedience to parents. I mean, how many of us need to go back and apologize? How many of us? I remember um, my mom very clearly saying, hey, you couldn't wear this. So I went to such lengths to even go out to, to take it out, say, oh, I'm going to take out the trash, take out a, the outfit that I was going to wear anyways and like hide it in the bushes and go out and change so I can wear this stupid outfit to school. Disobedient. Because we just want to do our own thing. We all want to be in control. So we're disobedient to authority, but it also says that we're lovers of pleasure. And if you saw some of these words, there's people who are swollen with conceit, they're treacherous, they're reckless, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many of us hurt other people to make ourselves look better? How many of us slander other people? How many of us seek after momentary pleasures at the cost of our reputation and at the cost of Christ's name? And it says having a form of godliness. And I'm very specific because, again, for me, um, Jesus became very real in high school. And again, for those who um, attend here regularly, or if you know me, you understand that my parents' divorce was a big catalyst for me asking the big questions. Because I, I wasn't going to sit here in a world of pain. I would have just rather have taken my own life and been done with it. But it did drive me to ask some very hard questions. And so I started to go, again, I'm a theological mutt. So I went to the Methodist church, and I went to the Pentecostal church, and I went to the Baptist church, and ended up in a Presbyterian church. But one of the things that happened in the midst of that is I began to see that a lot of churches out there don't preach the gospel. A lot of churches are about making everyone feel comfortable. And so there's some churches that believe in the business model. You just run the church like you do a business. And Jesus and God are just the CFO and the CEO so as long as we make them happy, and as long as we make budget, everything's okay. Others use church as entertainment. 
just as long as you're happy in those seats. And I'll be looking for you to give me a number at the end of the service. Oh, today's service was a six. It was a 10, maybe a one. But we seek to make sure that everyone's comfortable and everyone's happy. The words of Scripture, though, talk about us being an army in a battle. And we're family, united together. So we don't have a form of godliness. We're either completely in love with him or we're in love with ourselves. And how does Paul tell us to deal with these kind of people? He says, avoid them. Now, he's not talking about our enemies and talking and praying for those people that are sinners saved by grace. We're supposed to be doing that. But he's saying for the people who find themselves in the midst of church, who are, in essence, in my opinion, playing church, avoid them because they will seek to destroy you in the process as well. So in the midst of this warning, we have to be what? Spiritually discerning. Because he said very clearly in this passage that there's knowledge, but there's not wisdom. And so there's the understanding that there's false teachings that were going on. So when we don't have biblical truth and biblical knowledge, if we're not studying the word, if we're not in the word constantly, then we don't know what is true. Or we might only hear half-truths. So it's, it's part of the danger, part of what, the reason why I even read from the translation of the New Living is because a lot of people get caught up in saying there's only one, there's only one translation, and it's the New King James Version. I'm telling you, you need to be reading at least three translations, at least three, if not more. And definitely don't become a one-verse theologian. Don't go around and say, this is what the Bible says, and let me beat you up with this. If we're seeking to beat people up with Scripture, we've already missed the point. Because we're not about being right. It's about being humble and allowing the grace of God to affect all of our relationships. But we do need to be in the word because these people even find themselves coming into our own homes. And so we need to be men and women of the word. We need to be staying in our relationship of prayer because we also have to get rid of our guilty consciences. Guilt is powerful. And it's very controlling. And you know, I have to keep saying to you all, if you love Jesus, then you would go spend time in the nursery. If you love Jesus, you would give at least 20% of your income. Because I need a raise. We need nice things. And I could sit there, and I can, because I grew up in a church this way. If you do love Jesus, then you would do X, X, X. That's the Pharisees. That's the warning that God gives against us. He says, don't be like them. Give me your heart. I'm telling you, that's hard. Given 10% to the church, that's easy. I can look at my checkbook and go, hey, did I do it? I did it. And I did a little bit more. I am self-righteous and good. 
But if he says, hey, Jeff, give me what you think would honor me. Would you give 90% of your income? Well, well now you're meddling. 10%, that's a, that's a good amount. I'll give 10% to you, I'll put 10% in savings, and the rest is mine. Jesus says, I want your heart. And there are people who are so overwhelmed with guilt and so overwhelmed with sin that they think that they have to earn God's love. That's a lie of Satan. There's a great example of St. Francis of Assisi, and he, he was walking down into the kitchen, and this man had done a serious sin with a, a member of the opposite sex. And he was sitting on his knees and he was rocking back and forth and he was saying, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me. And St. Francis of Assisi put his hand on the man's head and he said, he heard you the first time. Get up and go and bring glory to your Father. Some of you have been so beat up. You feel like your sin has never been forgiven or you've done something so heinous that it disqualifies you. And that is a lie from hell itself. Jesus paid it all. And all to him you owe. So run to him don't allow people to get you, guilt you and don't allow them to define you by your past sins. And it also says, don't be easy targets. Because you're an easy target if you're unstable. One of the things that I heard this week in regards to um, some of the big issues that are going on in the churches around the world about allowing homosexuals to be priests and to be um, teachers and different things. You know why the churches cave first and foremost? It wasn't over doctrine. What it was said to be was they were tired of fighting the good fight. I just get tired of fighting. And yet what we're called to do is to continue to fight the good fight that's given with us, but to do it with purpose. And we do it with purpose because we have to have wisdom and knowledge, but with a purpose. So that means our minds matter. It matters that we think. It matters that we have, um, that we're engaged in the word, that we're engaged in the discussion. But we're also engaged in the purpose. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So again, we need to know the Word. We need to develop a relationship, not a religion. Don't just know things about God. If you're not growing in a relationship with God, then something's wrong. And and please don't make your earthly relationship something different than what you have with your your Heavenly Father. If I went to my wife and said, hey, um, I'm going to talk to you for 15 minutes today, and I'm good. Because the rest of the time is mine. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you over while you're drinking your coffee, and I'll say nice things about you and everything like that, but you know, the rest of the day, I don't have to run back to you. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to spend time with you. You got your 15 minutes. Be happy. 
why do we think God would be satisfied with that? I w- I'm telling you, I would rather you spend eight hours one day and not have devotions the rest of the week. But fall in love with Jesus. Have a relationship with your Savior. Don't go through the motions. And as we do that, then we should be asking the question, is God glorified by what I'm doing? Because again, we're, we're good about always trying to see how close can we get to the line without crossing it. Well, if, if I just do this with my girlfriend, is that okay? You should turn the question around and say, is God pleased by what I'm doing? And if you ask that question, it becomes very, very specific and very easy to know what's right. But then it also tells us to enjoy him forever. Again, not religion and not going through the motions, but enjoying him. I love spending time with my wife. And I love my kids. I do love my kids. And there's a lot of things I'll do for my kids. But I am wanting my kids to be out of the house. I wanted to be with me and my wife. I chose my wife. The kids, God gave to me. That's great. I'll do my, I'll do my duty, but you go find your own person. Get out. I'm not kicking you out, Jameson. It's all right. You had a worried look. like. But don't you get that? I enjoy being with my wife. But I have to enjoy my Savior more than I ever dreamed than being with my wife. And so that's what he calls us to do. So we're supposed to be um, knowing and going with spiritual discipline because we have the last thing, the assurance. Sorry. We have assurance of victory. Now, here's what's happening. Satan is the one who is the great counterfeiter. So he tries to do the things of God, but he does it in such a way that it's only halfway. Because he can't do the truth. So he tells us very clearly that they will be uncovered. Again, we're told to love God and love our neighbors, not to become lovers of ourselves. And he gives us an example, a very specific example of this, of Janus and Jambles. I don't know if I say it right, but it's the ones that oppose Moses. Now, again, if you were to go back and look at the story of Moses, you will never find these names. But there is in the Jewish tradition, in the Talmuds very specifically, that the sorcerers who dealt with Moses before Pharaoh were named Janus and Jambles. So they were the ones who, when Aaron and Moses came and they threw down the staff and it became a snake, these were the people who also threw staffs down and they became snakes. When they said that they turned water into blood, they were able to turn water into blood. When they talked about the frogs and they were able to have frogs come, but that's where they stopped. They couldn't do the, the, the locusts. They couldn't do the death of the firstborn. They couldn't do. So eventually they were found out. These people are not true. They are only magicians. But Moses served the living God. And when God shows up, he destroys that which is 
false. And so these counterfeits were going on, and so we know that they're going to fail. And so it's the external testimony of God. It's an, it's an, we can have that. We can say we believe in God. We can say we love God, but it's an issue of the heart. That's why the Scripture brings us to the, to the passages and stuff and says, there was one son who said he was going to go out and do everything that his father's asked, but then he didn't do it. And there was one son when, who was asked the same thing, will you go do it? And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he ends up and goes and does it. And he said, who was the one who obeyed the father? Not the one who said he was, it's the one who did it. So it's the same thing. Where is our heart in this? Remember, Matthew 23 is where Christ goes in there, and he talks about the woes to the Pharisees. And he says, you clean the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is the thing that's nasty. And we get that, don't we? I mean, if you had after Christmas meal yesterday and all you did was to clean the outside of the pans, clean the outside of the cup, clean the outside of the plate, and then said, here, come eat this for dinner now off the same plate that had all the nastiness from lunch, you wouldn't do it. So God is saying, why are you so concerned about looking the right way to everybody on the outside when the evil and the nastiness is what's on the inside? Give your heart to Christ. And as we give our heart to Christ, we have to have the power. That's what it says. It's by the power that we live, and we live to love God. What is that power? It's the Holy Spirit. And not only the Holy Spirit, but as Neil has already told us today, Jesus is interceding for you, and that's an incredible thing. If you got nothing else for Christmas this year, for you to figure out that God knows you by name, he has numbered the hairs on your head, and he loves you because he loves you because he loves you, and he cares for you, and he's before his father, and he's saying, God, please don't destroy Neil. God, please don't destroy Josiah. God, please take care of Timothy. God, please look over these people because these are the people that you have given to me and I gave my life for them so that they might be called my brothers and sisters. And so they're not strong enough, but I am and you are. That's the God you serve. And it says we will have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection available to us. And we are assured, listen, we're assured that we do not fail. It's the question that Stephen read for us. Who do you say I am? And Peter got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Peter answered, I mean, Jesus answers him and he says, blessed are you because my father is the one who revealed it to you. And I'm telling you, Peter, the gates of hell themselves cannot stop the love of God. Amen? Let's pray as we prepare ourselves to go to the table. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for warning us that we are coming into difficult days with difficult people in our churches. 
And so, Father, give us spiritual discernment. Lord, allow us to go deep into your word. Lord, not just simply to read it, but allow it to make deep roots so that no matter the time or no matter the place that we find ourselves, we always run back to your truth, to your goodness, to your mercy. And Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have given us the assurance that no matter how bad it gets here, we win. We win because you have paid the ultimate price and give to us the ultimate righteousness that is found in your Son alone. So Father, thank you. And Lord, now equip us to go forth into your world to preach the good news, to heal the sick, and to set the captives free. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.